0: Today's scripture is from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Good Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 2 through 6. This is our Colossians teaching series. I absolutely love God's word. Do you guys love God's Word? So we study books of the Bible, we'll do topicals from time to time, but uh, since the beginning of the year, we've been studying through Colossians. It's been an amazing book, I love it. And we've titled it, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, absolutely everything. And this weekend, we've got this weekend, next weekend we finish up this teaching series, head into a new teaching series on Easter weekend, but we're titling it, A Life Seasoned with Salt. It's based on Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Grab your sermon notes out also. You can follow along. You'll notice here, part of our text, it says in Colossians 4, 6, first part of that verse, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. How you doing? I could use some help in that area. I mean, I read that and I go, oh, I could use some help. Anybody there, out there with me? Kind of? Yep, so we'll work on that. We'll see what that looks like. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was telling His disciples really what it looks like to be a follower of His, and He says this in Matthew 5.13, you're the salt of the earth. Kind of using this idea of salt kind of metaphorically, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? I've got it there on your notes, first couple of fill in the blanks, actually three fill in the blanks here, and uh, we're going to look at what is, it, uh, what is salt, what are the characteristics of salt, and, and also we're, we'll tie that to what we should be like in this world as followers of Christ. So, salt prevents decay. So, as Christians, we run to, not from problems. We roll up our sleeves and, and get involved to try to make this world, this place, a better place by presenting Christ. We stand up for what is right, for what is true, and we do that in, in love. It adds flavor. That's your next one. Christians are enjoyable to be around. We don't take ourselves very seriously, but we take Christ real seriously, and people just love hanging out with us, I hope. Do they like hanging out with you? Okay. I agree with you. You're fun to hang out with. Yeah, and so Christians are enjoyable to be around, adds flavor. Maybe you need a little work on that. Some of you were kind of sitting back kind of not sure about that one. And then the next one creates thirst. Christians create desire in others to know God. So salt uh, prevents decay. Christians run to, not from problems. Adds flavor. Christians are enjoyable to be around. Creates thirst. Christians create a desire in others to know God. Now, this is what you need to know The chemical properties of salt do not change, but salt can lose its saltiness when it is diluted, when it's diluted. Christians can lose their saltiness when when they are diluted by the world. That's why it tells us in Romans 12, 2, don't be diluted by the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It also tells us in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father and says that we are in the world but not of the world. Now, not only do I love God's Word, I absolutely love Jesus, and when you study him through the gospel accounts, he's amazing, he's beautiful, he's captivating, he's overwhelming, and what you see in Jesus is this unbelievable balance between uh, being radically different from the world, but at the same time radically identifying with the world. And uh, Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners, And so He calls us, if we're following Him, we'll become more and more like Him to where we will be radically different from the world but radically identify with the world. There's this fine balance between the two. So if you're radically different from the world but can't and don't identify, radically identify with the world, you have a message but you don't have an audience. If you radically identify with the world but you're not radically different from the world, you have an audience but you don't have a message. So God has called us to have this salt kind of influence, prevents decay, adds flavor, creates thirst, radically different from the world, radically identify with the world. That's what he's called us to do and to be. So living a life seasoned by salt is intentional rather than accidental. So with our busy schedules, it takes passion, priority planning, and risk-taking. I'm gonna challenge you to take some risk here in this message. So, it takes some risk-taking to be salt in this world, but the rewards far outweigh the risks. Now, this whole book has been about Christ's preeminence. Colossians is about Christ's preeminence, that He's sufficient, He's supreme, and believe me, He is all-satisfying. And so, as we've been working our way through these four chapters in Colossians, Christ's preeminence declared was chapter 1, Christ's preeminence defended chapter 2, and then Christ's preeminence demonstrated chapters three and four a few weeks back. We talked about the new life that we have in Christ, healthy relationships, harmony in the home. Last weekend, we talked about love your job, and now we come to a place in this message where He's wanting us to have influence in our culture and what that looks like as we impact the world around us. Next week, we'll wrap up this teaching series by talking about the importance of community, hanging out with each other, and the impact that, ha- that has in our life. But something you'll notice here is that this is the fourth G in our 5G process of full devotion to Christ. Here at Desert Breeze, we wanna create a safe environment where unchurched people can can become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Unchurched people, listen to me, there are 200,000 unchurched people within a five mile radius of this place. Our work is cut out for us. We wanna create a safe environment where they can come in and become fully devoted followers of Christ because we're convinced that fullness of life that Christ came to give to us, John 10.10, and full devotion to Him are one and the same. And so that's what we want to help people to do, and we've got a 5G process to help you work through that. We've got, first G is a genuine Christian, then you become a growing Christian, a giving Christian, and then you become a going Christian, that's the fourth G. The fifth G is all for God's glory. So this addresses the fourth G in this process of full devotion to Christ. And this is what I am convinced of. This is what I've experienced. Many of you have experienced this too. Once you've tasted of fellowship with God, once you've tasted of intimacy with God, which I'm convinced that intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. There's nothing better. This is what the Christian life really is all about. It's knowing God, walking with God, enjoying God. Once you've tasted of that, you want everybody you care about to experience it also. There's nothing better. That's what you're inviting them to, intimacy with God, relationship with Him, life's most satisfying reality. If what you have in Christ… If you don't want others to know and experience what you have in Christ, then what you have in Christ isn't very potent, it's not very powerful. And I'm telling you, you're living way below your potential, your privilege, the power, very presence of God working in your life. There's nothing quite like that. And as you walk with him, as you're a genuine Christian, a growing Christian, a giving Christian, believe me, you will be a going Christian. You want everybody to experience what you're experiencing, if indeed you are experiencing that intimacy with Christ. So that's where we're headed with this. In fact, We share our faith out of joy, out of this overflow of joy in His presence, His fullness of joy, indescribable, indestructible joy, a glorious joy. And so that's where we're headed. So living a life seasoned with salt, or another way we could say it is how to build a bridge of friendship. There's four things. You can see them on your notes. We'll work through each one of them first one is become aware, become aware of the unbelievers God has placed in your life, commit to prayer for them, and then show them that you care, begin to reach out to them, show them that you care, be ready to share your your testimony, your faith in Christ Jesus. Let's take a look at that first one. Number one, become aware of the unbelievers God has placed in your life. Become aware of the unbelievers God has placed in your life. Look at verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. I love the word there. Uh, Walk obviously means in how we're living out our life, but walk in wisdom. Wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. It has this eternal perspective. It's like you understand that people's lives are hanging in the balance for all eternity, heaven or hell. People need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. So here's the first thing you want to do, and you'll notice that under each one of these I've got a number of things that we can do to apply these truths to our lives. Here's the first thing. Make a list of them by name, those unbelievers that God has put in your life. By the way, this is what we're gonna ask you to do, and we've been doing it at all, all of our services this weekend. You'll notice up underneath the cross over here, some of you, if you look back, we've got some butcher paper. It's uh, gray butcher paper. And on, those wall, on that wall, we're asking you to write the names of unbelievers that God has put in your life. Write their names on there. And there's something that happened. We did this back in Sandra Day O'Connor High School. How many remember those days? Sandra Day O'Connor High School, and we put butcher paper up on both of the walls in the auditorium. We asked people to put unbelievers' names up there, and there were some powerful things that happened. Uh, Amanda Connor, who had written a name of a gal that she had been interacting with, and uh, this gal all of a sudden calls her up and says that she wants to come to church. She shows up shows up to church while, while we were doing this a couple weeks into this and Amanda says you're not going to believe this but I've been praying for you and in fact let me walk you over to the wall where, we, where her name was written on that wall and said your name is up here I put your name up here I've been praying for you in fact you see all these people here this whole church has been praying for you she broke down and began to cry and then she made a commitment of her life to Jesus God got a hold of her life so you have no idea what's going to happen as we together as a church family yeah praise God as we begin to pray for the unsaved. The unbelievers in our life. So make a list. Begin to pray for them. Put them up on the wall. And I'm still trying to figure out who put my name up there on that wall. I think my wife put my name up there. I could use your prayer, but I'm not. I'm a Christian, okay? I'm a follower of Christ. Sometimes maybe I don't act like it. <laughs> but, but anyway, we'll put their names up there. And, uh, and so that's the first thing. Realize your calling to make a difference in their life. People in your life are not there by accident, by divine design. God wants you to make an impact in their life. Tells us in Luke 19.10, uh, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. And then uh, he also said in his prayer in the 17th chapter of John, he's talking to the Father. He says, Father, just as you have sent me, I'm sending them, that's us. He sent us into the world. We have responsibility here. They're not in your life by accident. He wants you to make an impact in their life. Assess each person's level of spiritual receptivity. Begin to ask them questions about their faith, about their church background, any number of things. Begin to understand where they're coming from. And sometimes people are defensive because they've been hurt. It's a defense wall. So just be aware of that. Um, Humility will ask honest questions. Pride refuses to hear the answers. So people are anywhere between humility and pride. Don't take offense to that, but just kind of try to navigate that. Try to understand where they are so you can better pray for them. And discover and write down what their interests and needs are. Begin to understand who they are, what's going on in their life, what are they struggling with? And this is what I can tell you that's true about every person on this planet. All of us are guilty of this, and this is the essence of sin. It's found in Romans one we we've all exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the Creator. All of us are guilty of that. That's the essence of sin. And why would we do that? Because there's an inconsolable human longing within all of us. And if we don't allow God to fill that emptiness up, we're going to look for something else to fill that emptiness up. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, when I seek ultimate satisfaction in created or temporal things and don't find it, I will either try harder. That's why people go from job to job to job or marriage from marriage to one relationship or, you know, whatever it is, bigger house, nicer car, whatever it is. For a while, they do bring a little satisfaction, but over time it doesn't and you're looking for something bigger, better. More expensive, whatever it might be. So, we try harder, or we become bitter, or we realize we were created for another world. We were created to know the living God, only He can satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. So, when you interact with people, keep in mind that everyone on this planet Everyone has an inconsolable human longing, and they're somewhere on this spectrum. They're either trying harder, they become bitter, or maybe, just maybe, they're at that place where they realize, I was made for something much bigger than all this stuff. Yes. You want to help them kind of move in that process. Everyone has an inconsolable human longing that only Christ can satisfy. I love the example of this found in John chapter 4. We have the story of, of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. She had been married five times, was currently living with the guy, and she was evidently seeking ultimate acceptance, love, and male affection, it seems that way. We don't know the whole story. Maybe these guys, and that's, that culture was very abusive to women, so maybe she was going from, from guy to guy to guy. They kept kicking her to the curb. She had a lot of hurt and different hang-ups there, but we also know that we've all sinned and we've all been sinned against, so there's a combination of both of these going on. All we know is that she had an inconsolable human longing within her heart that was desperate. She was desperate, Jesus has this encounter with her, and it's evident that she feels like she's an outcast, she's filled with shame, she's feeling rejected and lonely because of her past, and the reason why we know this is because she comes out to the well at an interesting time of the day. What was the time of the day? It was at noontime. Nobody comes at noontime. It's hot. This is an arid region. You come in the morning, you come in the evening. She comes at noon to avoid the crowd, to avoid people. And I love Jesus. I love His Word. I love Jesus. Read through the Gospels. You will be captivated by Jesus. Believe me. You'll be overwhelmed by Jesus. And Jesus does something quite amazingly with her. Jesus tenderly reaches through every barrier, gender, religious, social, moral, to touch this woman's heart with His grace, only as He can do. Jesus asked her for a drink. She was shocked. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews despise Samaritans. I can't believe you'd do that, along with the other barriers that He busted through and Jesus responds to her by saying, If you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him, that is me, for a drink, and he, I would give you living water. And she looks at him like, What? She didn't get it. She goes, I don't understand that. You didn't even have a water pot. How are you going to draw that up from the well? That doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus says something so profound. John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. He says, Drink of this water? I'm not talking about this water, this is temporal drink of this water, you're going to be thirsty again. You drink of the water that I give you, you will never, ever thirst again. And in fact, this water will be in your heart and well up like a stream of water. Nothing will satisfy you like how I can satisfy you. That's pretty overwhelming. You can never get out of romance and money and achievements, career, acquisitions, what only a relationship with God can bring. I can't get no satisfaction, sang Mick Jagger in 1965. Yeah, I didn't know, know it was that long ago. You guys know that song, and a lot of you were nowhere to be found at that time, okay? I was alive. I was young. The Rolling Stones sang, the Rolling Stones song echoes the cry of the human heart. We try, and we try, and we try, but we can't get no satisfaction. Why is that? Because there's an inconsolable human longing in your heart that only Christ can satisfy. That's true about everybody on this planet. Look for areas of common ground that you can build on. You wanna have some credibility, build some credibility with him, common ground, credibility, and then you can send your testimony across that bridge of credibility. Figure out what kind of testimony each would respond to. Now, I could give you a, a testimony of how Christ has saved my marriage, met my financial needs, given me wisdom in parenting, given me power to overcome temptation, comforted me in hardship, given me peace in crisis, given me forgiveness when I was full of guilt and shame, healed my past hurts, given me hope for the future, and the list goes on. If He's the wellspring of your life, you have that many testimonies also. If you've been walking with Him for any length of time, you have a number of testimonies that you can share with others the difference that He's made in your life. It just becomes the overflow of your life. So living a life seasoned with salt, become aware. Here's the second one, commit to prayer. Look at verse two. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly. I not only love God's word and I love Jesus, but oh my goodness, I love connecting with him. I love walking with him throughout the day, interacting with him, practicing his presence. And you get a little bit of an idea of that. Continue steadfastly in prayer. But you notice, he he says this, And in this context, he's saying, connect with God regularly, maybe even throughout the day, being watchful. So you're connecting with God vertically, but you're being watchful horizontally, because as you're listening to God, I'll guarantee you, He'll begin to speak to your heart and how you can minister to those people that are around you. That's why he says that. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yeah, that God would use me to touch someone else's life for him that would make an impact in their life for all eternity. Verse three, first part of verse 3, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Okay, so, so as you're praying, and this is what I'm, I'm praying for the names that are up there, on that list. In fact, the bigger you write their name, the more I'll pray for them. I'm kidding. That was a joke. But uh, That was a bad joke. But I'll pray for, I'm going to pray for everybody up there, and even if it's small. You write their name small. It doesn't matter the size. Just put the name up there. We're going to be praying for everybody that's on here. But this is what we should be praying. Use your list to pray daily for your unsaved family and friends. Why is that? Because prayer makes a difference. It tells us in James 4, 2, we have not because we what? We, have, we ask not. We don't ask. He's saying that you do without because you failed to come to me and ask. It also tells us in James five sixteen the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So here's the deal with prayer. Prayer makes things happen that otherwise wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. I pray like crazy, man. I'm telling you. I want things to happen. And they do. I see things happening all the time around me and in my life and through my life. I love it. And so use this list to pray daily for your unsaved family and friends. Pray that God will remove their spiritual blindness. Pray that the Holy Spirit will make their hearts receptive. Pray you'll get the opportunity to share a clear witness. Man, when I have prayed that, God opens up a door so wide that there's no way I could miss it to be able to share my faith with someone. Pray that God will give you wisdom in what to say. Lord, give me the words, and when I worked out at Palo Verde, I I worked in the combo shop there, and so I'd go in early, and I'd sit at the bench where I worked, and I'd open up my Bible, and I knew people would come around and be talking to me before the whistle blew that we had to go to work, and so I would actually prepare myself in how I might respond and how I could use that as an opportunity. I also read the morning newspaper to know what was going down so I could relate God's word to what was going on in current events and show them the answers in Christ Jesus, and so I did that, I practiced it, I thought about it, I was reflective of it, and that's part of it. Pray that God will give you the wisdom in what to say. I did the same thing when I was on the fire department as I interacted with people. Pray the Holy Spirit will use your words, the words you say. By the way, it won't be condemning, it'll be convicting. Convicting draws people to Christ. Condemnation pushes them away, that's the work of the enemy. And then here's the last one I've got on your list there. Pray for God to maintain, if you've got the joy of your salvation, or restore the joy of your salvation to overcome pride, fear, pessimism, and or indifference. In Psalm 51.12, David is giving us his repentance song. And remember, he's guilty of murder, he's guilty of adultery, number of things, betrayal of a nation. And in his repentant psalm, this is what he said. Listen to it very carefully. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. This is what you need to know about David. It wasn't that David had joy. It isn't that David sinned and lost the joy of his salvation. It wasn't that he sinned and lost the joy of his salvation. He lost the joy of his salvation, therefore he sinned. We sin when we lose the joy of our salvation. Sin is what we do when we are not satisfied with Christ. So we do not share our faith with others because we've lost the joy of our salvation. We are afraid to open our mouth because we don't have the joy of our salvation. Four reasons we are ineffective in sharing our faith. I wrote them down there on your notes. Pride, we become defensive and argumentative when they reject us or disagree with us, fear. The approval of people is more important to us than the approval of God. By the way, when you live in the reality of His love and approval, that chases away the fears. And then there's pessimism. Sometimes we'll look at someone and think, this person would never become a Christian. I'm not going to waste my time. Oh, and you are the perfect kind of person that would become a Christian? how wonderful it was for you to bestow your greatness upon God when you came to faith in Him. It's like, that's arrogance. That's crazy. You can never be too lost not to be able to receive Christ. You can never be beyond the reach of God's grace. But you can actually be so proud that you think that you don't need God's grace. Typically, it's just pride you don't understand your need for God's grace, you are full of pride. And the more pride you have, the less you can actually see in yourself. That's scary. You're very self-deceived. All of us, all of us, none of us are beyond the reach of God's grace. Nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace. And then indifference. I mean, we're too driven. We're too tired. We're too worn out because we are working for rather than from our identity. I'm just, I'm exhausted. I mean, I don't don't have time to, I don't have time to reach out to that person that, God, you have divinely put in my life for me to somehow make an eternal influence in their life. I don't have time. I'm, I'm worn out. I'm just worn out. Why? Because I'm, because I have no margin in my life. I'm not resting in him. I'm working hard to fill that emptiness rather than to get, that emptiness filled up in him, then therefore, then I've got more margin in my life, I've got good boundaries, and then I can take out time to reach out to those people that God has placed within my circle of influence or touch. In all cases, it's a lack of joy, fear, pride, pessimism, indifference. Listen to what John Stott says, this is pretty convicting. Nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue like the secret poverty Of our spiritual experience. If you're not experiencing a joy, you won't open your mouth, and you're not experiencing joy because of the secret poverty of your spiritual experience. So how do you get the joy back? Well, you could pray for it, as, as David is, But while he was praying for it, he also realized, I mean, he was overwhelmed by grace. Let grace overwhelm you. You want to get your joy back? Let grace overwhelm you. We celebrate grace most joyfully when we grieve our sin most deeply. You're totally out of touch with the reality of the fact. If you have no joy, it's one of these two things. It's either you don't realize you were so sinful Jesus had to die for you. There was no other way that you could be reconciled to God. You were doomed for all eternity. You were going to perish. You've lost touch with that. Or maybe you've lost touch with the fact that you were so loved He wanted to die for you. The combination of both Indescribable, indestructible joy. (laughs) I was so sinful, Jesus had to die. I was so loved, He wanted to die. I was so sinful, He had to die. That eliminates all pride, that humbles you. I was so loved, I've never been loved like He loves me. I was so loved, He wanted to die. That eliminates all fear that gives you confidence and courage in your life. You see the difference that makes in your life? So, so if I were to ask you, hey, are you a Christian? You said, of course I am. Are you a Christian? Of course I am. There's no a course about it. You're a miracle and you've lost touch with that, the reality of the fact that you're a miracle. Now, a better response would be, yeah, can you believe it, me a Christian? I'm the least likely candidate. If you think you're not the least likely candidate and that somehow you would be a good candidate to become a Christian, you've missed, you misunderstood what Christianity is all about. You, you somehow have some self-righteousness in there that somehow you earned it or achieved it, or yeah, of course God's going to pick me. Look at me. <laughs> That's messed up. No wonder you don't have any joy and you're looking down on everybody else and you're full of pride because you've lost track of how lost you really are, and how desperate you are every day for His grace. I mean, when, I, when we, I started reading this and studying this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Oh, my goodness. Just that alone put me back and said, ah, I need some help. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Amen. The more in touch you are of your sinfulness, the more you appreciate His grace. Lord, I need help. Thank you for your help grace is God's empowering presence in our life, helping us to be what He wants us to be, to do what He wants us to do. But you got to first come in, you got to be in touch with your own sinfulness and your need for that. And so, that's important. I love the response of, uh, of this woman who was at the well John 4, 28, you know what's crazy about this? She has this encounter with Jesus, (laughs) and she leaves her water jar. Who leaves their water jar in this arid environment and runs into the town to tell the town folks about this man, Christ Jesus? Here's a woman who's running from people and is now running to people to share this grace that she has encountered through Christ. Grace is that God sees me at my worst and loves me to the heavens. And and so you begin to see that your salvation is is a miracle. And that's what happened with her. So living a life seasoned with salt, we become aware. We commit to prayer, and sometimes we need a lot of prayer ourselves. As we're praying for others, we pray for ourselves that God would restore the joy of our salvation. So we take that risk. And then here's the next one: show you care. Look at verse six a. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I think that besides the fact that we have this inconsolable human longing deep within us, I also am convinced that loneliness is one of the biggest problems facing our modern society. There's a lot of lonely people in this world, especially after COVID and all of that, where we were quarantining ourselves and isolating ourselves. But I think we're lonely just through social media. There's so much pretense going on in social media. I don't think any of us really pull back the curtain, and really reveal our hearts, and we're not really connecting at that deeper level that God wants us to connect at. We'll talk about that next weekend, but there's a lot of lonely folks in our world today. You could be in a room full of people and feel all alone. You know that. Loneliness is homesickness for God and His family. So here's what I would suggest. Treat everyone with respect as people, not as prospects. Be a genuine friend. Help them in practical ways. Show them what a friend they have in you so that you can tell them what a friend they have in Jesus. Be a good listener. It is a great way to show love. Make service your aim, not recruitment. Invite them into your home. Offer them hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9. Consciously focus your concern on meeting their needs. Go out of your way to love them until they ask you why. Accept people as they are without being judgmental. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came that through him the world might be saved. That's the, that's the verse right after John 3.16, if you're familiar with that. God loved us so much he sent his son. Oh, by the way, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Why, where do all these condemning Christians come from? Why is the church so condemning? It's crazy. It's insane. I don't think they're walking with Jesus. Now, there's a difference between being condemning and being discerning, but people need to see Christ. They need to see Him more than anything. Don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians until they are. Start where people are, not where you want them to be. You've got to be okay being in a small group with someone that maybe uses some colorful language, and they're having a hard time, and maybe they don't dress appropriately, but you start where they are, not where you want them to be. You just look at them and say, oh, my goodness, they need Jesus. How can we show them Jesus? Because you don't change and then come to Christ. You guys know that, don't you? You don't get your act together. Get your act together and you can be like me. Oh, I don't know if I want to be like you. You little self-righteous, condemning, condescending person. You sound very religious. You don't change and then come to Christ. You come to Christ and He changes you. Now, why will people listen? Why would people listen to us? I think it's because of our peculiar character. You guys are really peculiar, man. Yeah, that's right. Peculiar character and unique offers. I've got that on your notes. Peculiar character is you're radically different from the world. And unique offers, you can radically identify with the world. It goes back to what we started talking about. Peculiar character. You're radically different. Exodus 3, Moses is out with the sheep. He sees this burning bush, but what's crazy about this burning bush, and the reason why he gets close to it is that it's not consumed. It's on fire, but it's not consumed. He goes over to the bush, has this encounter with God. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people, and tongues of fire are over their head, and what it's telling us is that every Christian is a burning bush, our lives should be inexplicable. They look at us and go, what in the world's going on here? Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary guys, they were astonished and realized that these guys had been with Jesus. In that verse, it's showing us that there is both a humble confidence and courage in Peter and John because of their encounter with Christ and through the gospel. It was really peculiar to the folks these guys are very humble. They're not, they don't have an attitude of superiority, and yet they don't have an attitude of inferiority. There's a humble courage in their lives. That would be one way you could describe holiness. Holiness. So no superiority, no inferiority. No pride, no fear. <laughs> that's a beautiful combination. That's what God does to our hearts. That's what the gospel does. That's how it transforms our life. No towering, no cowering. I don't tower over people like I'm better than them. I was so sinful, he had to die for me. How, why would I ever do that? I don't cower to anybody. I was so loved, he wanted to die for me. No towering, no cowering. It's beautiful. The serene beauty of a holy life radiates from within and is influential and irresistible. This is the underlying attitude of preventing decay, adding flavor, creating thirst. The impact of salt in our lives. Peculiar character, radically different, but also unique offers, radically identified. You know what we offer people as believers in Christ? I mean, this is unique. We offer them salvation by grace. You can have a right relationship with God. You can go to heaven by grace. Every other belief system in this, on this planet offers salvation by works. You want to know the di- main difference between Christianity and all the cults and religions of our world today? It's right there. Christianity, salvation by grace, it is a gift. It's blood bought through Jesus Christ. Everything else is works righteousness. Get your act together you can be a part of the team. The good are in, the bad are out. With Christianity, the humble are in, the proud are out. All you do is recognize you have a need, and you come to Him, and you can have salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing we offer, not only salvation by grace, but we offer a love relationship with God. I can have relationship with the God of the galaxies. I can interact with him. I spend time with him every morning. He speaks to my heart. He leads and guides me. He empowers me. There's nothing quite like it. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. Nothing better. No other worldview or religion offers those two things, salvation by grace, a love relationship with God. Salvation by grace eliminates pride. It humbles us. Love relationship with God eliminates fear, gives us courage and confidence. Living a life season with Saul, become aware, commit to prayer, show you care, be ready to share. Be ready to share. Look at verse 6b, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Verse 3b, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So I love God's Word. I love Jesus. I said something else about something else I loved. I forget now, but, but it'll come to me in a minute. But I love the gospel. I absolutely love the gospel. I love the gospel. The message of the gospel is quite simply the best news ever. That's what connects all of us, all Christians from all time. We are connected because our hearts have been captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Our hearts are smitten. No one has ever loved us like He's loved us. There's nothing quite like it. So so in sharing, being ready to share, you need to not only know the gospel, but you also need to kind of have an idea of how the gospel has transformed your life and continues to transform your life even to this day as you begin to live that out. By the way, that should be just a natural overflow of your life if he is indeed the wellspring of your life. And so... Identify yourself oh let me, let, me, let me share with you the gospel, just to make sure that I didn't get that to you here. So the gospel is the true story that God has sent His Son Jesus on a rescue mission to this planet Earth to redeem us, rescue us, to reconcile us back to the Father, that through His life, death and resurrection, He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered evil. And all who repent and believe in Him have everlasting life, fullness of life in Christ. Put your faith in Him. So identify yourself as a positive, joyful Christ follower, follower of Christ. Share a testimony when the occasion naturally arises, and it will. Here's another, once, once again, an example. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. So she leaves her water jar, and she runs back into the town. And listen to what it says in verse 29. Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She doesn't even have really that good a theology. It's kind of superficial here. I'm not even sure if this is the Christ. I'm thinking maybe he's the Christ. But oh my goodness, he has transformed my heart. Simple transparency. That's what's happening here. They went out of the town and were coming to Him. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Do you hear what she's doing here? This is is what we do when we share. We're ready to share. She is not hiding her heart, the wellspring of her life. See, sharing your heart is just being natural about how Christ and His Word helps you establish priorities, make decisions, and deal with deal with problems so like if you're struggling with like hopelessness and you go to his word you spend time with him and he fills you up with hope you've got something to share with others that are feeling hopeless if you're needing some joy in your life you're just overwhelmed with life and, and you spend a little bit of time with him and he just fills your heart with joy you're reminded of his grace you've got something to share with others It becomes the overflow of your life See, if He's not the wellspring of your life, something else is, then when you begin to share about Christ, it's contrived. But when He's the wellspring of your life, oh my goodness, He's your refuge, He's your source, He's the lover unlike any other lover in your life. You're experiencing Him daily, you're walking with Him. He's directing you, He's correcting you. You're experiencing fullness of life in Him. How could you keep quiet about that? Especially when you see someone in your life that's struggling. You're going to come alongside of him and say, Dude, or do that, <laughs> let me show you Jesus. Let me show you, let me tell you a little bit of what I was struggling with. Simple transparency point to Jesus. That's what she's doing. Why point to Jesus? All other religions point to a path about what you must do to be right with God, Christianity points to a person about what he has done to make us right with him. Evangelism isn't a matter of training, but a matter of character, letting people see who you are. Simple transparency, point to Jesus. Sharing the joy of your salvation. Never force the good news. Be patient, God is working. Use crisis situations to show why we all need God. Ask questions that lead to spiritual discussions. Give them appropriate YouTube messages or books to read. Concentrate on the essential. Don't get sidetracked by hang-ups. So, so don't get into arguments over politics or sexuality or gender or science, science debating over creation or evolution. Don't get sidetracked by secondary issues. Is the person and work of Jesus true or not true? Take him to Jesus. Tell him to explore it. Tell him to read the Gospel accounts. Look in the Gospel of John. Tell me, is this guy for real? Did he really do that? Is he who he said he is? Did he come to do what he came to do? How do you account for the beauty of Jesus' life? How do you account for the power of his words and his works? How do you account for the evidence of his resurrection? And this group of followers turning the world upside down, proclaiming the resurrected Christ, how do you account for that? And even to this day, billions of people on this planet earth call him Lord and Savior. How do you account for that? We know a love that conquers sin, wipes out shame, heals wounds, reconciles enemies, restores broken dreams, and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. That's what we offer them. If He's the wellspring of your life, that will overflow your life as you walk with Him, as you help others see Him more clearly. I've got to tell you a quick story. This has happened a lot in the last 31 years. People will call the office and say, hey, we want to baptize our baby. I go, hey, that's great, come on over. Let's sit down and talk. And so they'll come in, I'll sit down and talk. This was a gal who had, had a newborn, and I had my wife in there typically uh, when we we're gonna do baby dedications, So she was in there, and then Matt Trusella wanted to hang out there and just kinda find out what I do. And so I sat there and started talking to her, and come to find out she was not married, she's living with a guy, but they had the, the godfather of this child that was insisting that this baby be baptized, coming from more of a Roman Catholicism background, because if the baby's not baptized, the baby dies and goes to hell. It's Kind of the idea behind that. And so, well, we don't do baby baptisms, but this is what we do, and I explained to her what a baby dedication is. But I said, but let me ask you this, uh, do you know what the gospel is? She goes, no, I don't. I said so I sat down and explained the gospel to her talked about a little bit of what I just said to you and I explained the gospel to her and I said have you ever heard that before she goes I have absolutely never heard that before I go really I said would you like to commit your life to Jesus she said yeah I'd like to do that so I a letter letter and a prayer of commitment to Christ right there in that room and she committed her life to Jesus and I said now here's what I want you to do I'm going to give you a bible I'll give you some brochures of what it means to be a Christian. I want you to go home and tell your boyfriend, I'd love the opportunity to be able to sit down with the both of you and explain to you further what what baby dedications are. And I'd love to dedicate your baby. And I'd love to be able to kind of walk you through this process. I'm putting them on that wall over there and I'm gonna pray for them because that was not by accident. That was by divine design. I have no idea what kind of impact that's gonna make in her life. But she had never heard the gospel before. A lot of people on this planet in our country don't know what the gospel is. Just share the simple gospel message. Share to them how it's transformed your life. And I'll guarantee you, it will make a difference. Simple transparency point to Jesus. God can use you to make a difference in people's lives for all eternity, for all eternity. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we pray that those of us who have put our faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ would be filled with joy, fill us with joy, restore to us the joy of our salvation so that we could live our lives seasoned with salt, that we would become more aware of the unbelievers you have placed in our lives, commit to pray for them and begin to show them that we truly care about them. And may we be ready to share the gospel difference you have made and are continuing to make in our lives. May we see a harvest of souls this Easter season and throughout this year here at Desert Breeze unlike we've ever experienced before for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. We've got three stations up here. Make your way up to the station. Grab both the cups. Take it back to your seat. I'll walk us through the process. A couple things I want you to think about. Ask God to restore the joy of your salvation. Or maybe you already have the joy of your salvation, just that he would continue to maintain that. But most importantly, let grace overwhelm you as you're thinking and reflecting about the communion elements this morning. So Father God, we pray that you would restore the joy of our salvation. Let grace overwhelm us. So God, we know that when we look at the cross, it's showing us both your justice and love. In justice, you pass the required sentence of death on our sin. But in love, in love, you took that punishment yourself on the cross. We are overwhelmed by your grace. John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Becoming a child of God is the highest privilege of the gospel. We're thankful for that, that unworthy sinners, traitors like us, are forgiven, brought in for supper and given the family name. We love you, God. We worship you. If you're here and you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus, you can do that even right now between you and God. Acknowledge your sin that separates you from Him. Believe that Christ died in your place for your sins and confess Him as your Savior and Lord. Give your life to Him. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you, you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Next weekend, we wrap up our teaching series through Colossians, Life Together Makes Us Better, Colossians 4, 7 through 18. New teaching series, Easter weekend, God's Amazing Promises. Uh, Good Friday, we'll talk about God's Amazing Promises in the Crucifixion. Easter weekend, God's Amazing Promises in the Resurrection. Baptism class, if you want to get baptized on Easter weekend, we got a baptism class right over here. To my left, your right, up here, Pastor Scott will be up there to lead you through. That's about 10-15 minute class. Don't forget to write names on the wall of people that are unsaved. We're going to be praying for them. And, uh, and I'll be up at the front at the end of the service along with any available elders or leaders. And if you're new, I'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you want to commit your life to Christ, we'd also love to kind of lead you in that prayer as you encounter Christ and come to know Him and give your life to Him. And also, if you have any questions about anything that we've talked about here this weekend, I'd love to try to answer those questions for you. Uh, Here's my blessing for you. It's 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, letting grace overwhelm you, filling you with joy so that you may always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have within you and that you would do it with gentleness and respect all for God's glory in Jesus name and everyone said? Amen, Amen. love you guys, God bless you.